You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, a podcast hosted by me, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps online course creator, consultant, and a Docker captain. This podcast contains clips from my weekly YouTube live show, where I host a real-time Ask Me Anything style chat with guests and anyone who shows up on YouTube chat, many of whom are students of my Docker courses. You can find out more information, including show notes for this episode at brettfisher.com slash podcast. That's B-R-E-T-F-I-S-H-E-R dot com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I traveled to Vienna, Austria, and got to hang out with my friend Laura Taco. We talked about the human side of DevOps, and we challenged ourselves to not mention any specific tools while talking about humans and process, but that didn't last very long. As a reminder, this podcast is listener-supported by those of you that buy my Docker, Swarm, and now Kubernetes courses. If you're already one of my 130,000 students, I thank you so much for your support, and there's more coming. Just last month, we launched Kubernetes Mastery, which gets you hands-on with the leading container orchestrator. And I built that new course with my friend, Jerome Pedazzoni, who's been teaching Kubernetes and Docker longer than almost anyone. You can get coupons for those courses at breadfisher.com, and we're launching more videos monthly, which you can get notified for on my newsletter, which is also at brettfisher.com. Now on with the show. And we're live. I'm Brett, and I'm here this fine week in Vienna, uh, Austria, and I'm here with Laura Taco, my friend who's been on the show many times before. Thanks yeah. for being on the show. Yeah, hey, Brett. Good to be back. We are both Docker captains, so you've probably seen us at DockerCon. We've been on videos for years now at DockerCon. Mm-hmm. We've, um, we've, I think you're like, this is maybe your third or fourth time on the podcast, or you're... Highly like, likely, yeah. Yeah, you're the record holder for the DevOps and Docker Talk mm-hmm. podcast. And also, this is the live show, so you're seeing us live from... Sounds like I'm on computer. Oh, no. No. Nope, we're on the podcaster. Um, and, of course, we have all sorts of tech that I brought all yeah. overseas, so we're trying to figure all this stuff out. So, so Yeah, so we're, we're coming to you live from my office here in Austria. And why are you here? What, 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 are, you, what are you doing? This um, vacation. <laughs> existential, vacation. <laughs> existential question. What are you doing before and after the visit, though? That's true. I am here for legitimate reasons. So Udemy Live uh, was last week, which yeah. is a conference for uh, basically Udemy instructors. So if you've ever taken one of my courses on Udemy, uh, basically, if you've ever seen one there on the site that's from someone who has lots of students, chances are they're at that conference. And it was really cool because it was it was the big it was my stars like it was the people that I wanted the autographs mm-hmm. from and like wanted you were to fangirling a yes, little right. bit. That's yeah. right. I was a little excited, a little nervous to say hi. Like yeah. maybe they won't like me. Oh yeah. Um, and so that was fun. That was a couple of days la- uh, last weekend. Mm-hmm. And in Berlin. Yeah. And it was in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And then uh, here in Vienna for seeing you, mm-hmm. hanging out, having some fun. And yeah. then obviously very special. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously um, the fantastic city. This place is I see now why this place is ranked as like the, the best nu- place. The number one livable city in the world, like years, years yeah. and years. Like yeah. there, there's a room somewhere where there's like awards for every year, like someone's holding up yeah. like big uh It's like it's got cups. everything. Everything sort of looks like a palace. Yeah. Which is really nice. It's just nice to like get your groceries. Um public transportation is outrageous. It is just so useful. It's so inexpensive. You can truly get anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's super well connected with like an international airport, main train station, and 
Yeah, we've got free healthcare as well. So everyone come to Austria. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and there's we've been here three days, yeah. and I feel like we've we've saw this much. Like mm -hmm. we went on the big bus tour. If you've ever been to a major international city, <laughs> you've seen these buses. The big that, bus, yeah. The big bus. It's that's kind of a thing. And but you hopped on, but you didn't. We hop did. Off. We did. Beth, my wife, actually yeah. was. A, I wanted to do it, and mm -hmm. I thought we had little time, so let's check it yeah. out. And we did not hop off. Yeah. <laughs> we stayed on That's it for good. two hours. You just hopped on. Yeah, we did. And it was two hours, and the, uh, we took a lot of pictures through glass and reflections. And mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to show anyone those pictures, but it was a fantastic. <laughs> You'll have that memory, just for yourself. <laughs> it was a fantastic yeah, view of the city. I didn't realize, like, there's, uh, like, the river and the flooding, and there's uh, all these actuaries, like, the water coming yeah. through the city. It was a really interesting The Vienna tour. River, which is... is yeah, uh, it's so if you notice so like a mile long. Um there's like there's the Danube Canal, which uh -huh. is a nice place to sit in the summer. You can like have a beer or whatever, Aperol Spritz and like yeah. chill. Like it's really those. nice. There's the Danube, there's the old Danube, so there's like a lot of water, but then there's this little river that runs um kind of like from the city center southwest and it is just like barren it's always bone dry. Yeah, um, unless it's raining, and every time I drive over it, I'm like, hmm, the river is the river. there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's a nice like. It's good to anchor yourself as yeah. a landmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's it was a there was no part of the city that wasn't interesting beautiful. and yeah. beautiful. It had architecture. Yeah, it was crazy. And then there's skyscrapers that are being built, and yeah, it's a big. Um, there's a contrast, definitely. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. The old and the new. We kept taking pictures of the old mm -hmm. and the new. Um, we started doing. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna copyright this thing. 360 selfie because there's so many corners on I don't think it's a thing yet but there's so many corners <laughs> it is now you heard it here first a 360 <laughs> selfie it's gonna happen someday like we're yeah. gonna end up with phones that have cameras all over the thing and it's just gonna like take an entire 360 picture of you so do you just like spin around or like we what do, do, you do so we okay. so we stand there we both huddle each other and we're we basically circle with our camera because there's so many corners in the city mm -hmm. that everything is beautiful all around you. Mm -hmm. So taking one picture it's a tough doesn't to really have, yeah. yeah, it doesn't really do it justice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's great architecture yeah. uh, for sure. And then a ton of museums. So Tons and museums. opera. Like I, I feel like there's just and Wiener Schnitzel. And Schnitzel, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we've we've made it like seven minutes into the, the live stream <laughs> without mentioning Schnitzel. It's a pretty it's pretty oh and bourbon. So today <laughs> we're enjoying yeah. a, a nice little drink. Cheers! Wait, what? How do you? I just taught you. Oh, um, uh, Zoom. Zoom. Remember? Zoom. No, I don't remember. Zoom vol. Say it again. Say it again. Zoom vol. I like prost better. I yeah, it's easier prost. to say. Yeah. So true. Thank prost. you. Um, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. So Brett and I. Went out to dinner last night to brainstorm some ideas for this, uh, this live stream. And I think what we ended up with was DevOps After Dark, something, something. That's just like your opinion, man. Um, and we had, we had an idea. And, the, and what we'll talk about today is DevOps and the outcomes that teams yeah. should look for when they're practicing DevOps. Um, but we had been talking about it's a great drinking game. If you talk about DevOps with someone and like the second that they talk about a container or YAML or something that's like yeah. not an outcome. Or Jenkins. Take a drink. Or, yeah, or which, testing. Or, yeah, or yeah, some yeah. testing tool. Which is not so healthy. So then I change it into an exercise game for my like fall fitness routine. I posted it on Twitter, which like struck a, struck a chord with some folks for sure. Yeah. Um, but we decided we would share one delicious bourbon drink 
in the before spirit, we get to the before we get <laughs> to the push-ups and into the, the, the push-ups and the squats. Right. We didn't. Um, we actually have the bike in the background. We do. Yeah. Um, we, have, we have squat area. Um, so the goal here is that we're going to spend some time taking your questions and talking about what I would call the soft side of DevOps, yeah. which is like the the human side. The, the soft skills, the workflows, the, 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 the human problems, yeah, yeah. The which, human which, problems. which ends up in being the outcomes. Yeah, that's that, what we're really solving yeah. for when we're using the tools, but it's often, it's much more fun to like, I don't know, write a thousand lines of YAML, I feel very accomplished, but if yeah. I have to convince somebody that their pull request should be shorter, it doesn't work. What's that? Oh no! That's not a tool. That's we're not. A... We're not. We're not doing that. <laughs> so Beth, Beth Fisher, who is acting as a production assistant right now, right. is yelling at us in the background that we should do some burpees um, or some push-ups because we're now talking about YAML. <laughs> I'll do three squats. Okay. One. Good form. Two. Keep your back okay. straight. Good. Good. All right. Yep. It's right. Austria. We have to get ready for ski season. Which is legs. Yeah, it's like, all legs. Leg it's day all, every day. It's leg day every day. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a specific kind of, of workout that I do in the preseason called leg blasters. Leg blasters. It's just a lot of squats. Is, it an, is, there, is there an emoji that's like, oh, God. there's no, there's no squat emoji. No. I noticed this today. But there's, there's a leg emoji and a pistol. <laughs> so for a pistol squat. I hate pistols. I hate pistol squats as well. <laughs> so we should do that. It's the, I'm no, not doing it right now. No, no. I would fall over if I did yeah. pistols. So, <laughs> all right. So what, let's talk about, um, all right. So if some of you are new to DevOps, or you're maybe responsible for, the, for getting DevOps into your organization. Like you're, you're told that you need the DevOps, right? There's so many of these, I mean, the DevOps is a, uses a verb, an adjective, and a noun. And a, yeah, it's a human, it's a job, it's a team, it's, it's a, title. a process, it's a title, what is it's it? It's a tool, it's, it's a what, thing. Yeah, it's the most versatile word in the English language. It is, <laughs> it, other than the uh, FCOM. I, yeah. I feel like that one is the ultimate. And they can be, you know... But yeah, you could use it in a yeah, you could use it yeah. in a negative connotation mm -hmm. there. Yeah, I think yeah. yeah. Why so, don't you close my DevOps pull request? <laughs> Great, it works. It works. You're such a DevOpser. Yeah. You know, something. Yeah, we could try that. We could try that. Um. So, uh, we're gonna look for some questions in a little bit. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. I see your comment. Oh, we got Jenny in there. Um. So. We, and Captain America in the background, somebody noticed that. Yeah. So between uh, my shirt, my Lucas shirt, uh, Lucasfilm shirt, yeah. and the Captain America Marvel, yeah. we are full Disney today. True. So um, the only thing we need is like, like for you to wear a, something else. I don't know, a, a, some other Disney franchise clothing, a hat, mm -hmm. something, and then we'd be full on. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have anything handy, but I don't think I do. We thought about some sort of Jedi theme. Oh, but, I have <laughs> I have this uh, <laughs> Spider-Man. It's perfect. Yeah, so this is um, the eye mask that was given out on a f recent flight when I was I traveled to the U.S. and then back to London. But just like imagine a whole plane full of. That's uh, pretty cool. It's pretty great. That's why I saved it. I totally yeah, that's pretty great. It. I yanked it from the plane. I would have preferred it had been um, Deadpool mask. That would have been slightly different, not yeah. the not the triangle eyes, but a whole whole plane full of uh, Ryan Gosling. Not Ryan Gosling. That's the wrong Ryan. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. He's gonna hate that when he watches this later. You know, when he's he a watches of mine, this later, Ryan's gonna, really he's gonna be, be upset. really upset. He's yeah. gonna be upset that I got him yeah. confused. So we're right. talking about DevOps. Let's talk about DevOps and instead think, of just bullshitting like we tended to. So in case you didn't know, Laura, yeah. she actually uh, until recently you have worked for CI/CD companies. 
I'm not going to mention their names because yeah. I would have to do burpees for that. But <laughs> right. um, for years, like since I knew you. Yeah, for, for years. Yeah. And so you were in the middle of what often was a workflow that would be associated with <clears throat> DevOps practices. Yeah. And I imagine you got all sorts of people coming to you, like confused about what, what is DevOps? Mm-hmm. Is that if I do this, will I be DevOps? Mm-hmm. So am I doing the DevOps? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. We've implemented your tool, so we're we're done there. Yeah, you know that's a, a really good point, Brett, because we did see a lot of teams latch on to CI/CD process and latch mm-hmm. onto technologies like Docker. And I'm exempting myself from the whole workout thing. I'll do it later. Um, so wait, so, so, <laughs> I'll so, so do keeping it later. track. We're keeping track. Keeping track. Um, I think we both have Apple watches, so we can send each other our rings to hold ourselves accountable oh, okay. for what we're about to who's, do in this conversation. Who's going to get their rings first? Who's yeah. going to get their rings first? All right. But we saw a lot of teams who had come to use CodeShip or come to use Jenkins or whatever other CI CD tool because they had been doing something sort of hand rolled themselves, and then they realized this is so vital to our business. We shouldn't be. Um, we should be. You know. Sp- spending money on it and outsourcing it to a team that focuses only on that problem instead of just trying to like add it on to the, the development responsibilities of our yeah. team. And those teams were already really successful when they did adopt a CICD tool because they already had the habit of their team to know, I'm going to work in small chunks. I'm going to try to deploy, like continuous deployment is our goal. Um, and they were sort of already doing that process-wise on their team. We had other teams that came to us and said, we don't know what we're doing. Um, we're hoping that this is the answer and kind of thinking like, oh, if I pay money for Jenkins or if I pay money for CodeShip, I'm doing the DevOps and all of a sudden I'm going to have less risk. Everything is going to be more reliable. I'm going to be able to ship more quickly. But those, those customers and those teams ended up struggling a lot because it's not about the specific tool. You have to have the team to support all those things um, right. and really sort of retrain your team on like the rhythm of how your development cycle. So do you think that, okay, so we have a lot of these people that come in and it's, it, they're, they're there for the buzzword, mm-hmm. right? Like um, a lot of times with the tools, but not just the tools, but also the word DevOps, I find that a lot of people, a lot of students, a lot of clients, they're coming into it because they're told to, mm-hmm. right? So they're not necessarily... It's something that, oh, oh you need to do this. You need, right. to, you need to have DevOps. It's a box to check off. Yeah, right? exactly. And yeah. So let's exclude those for a minute mm-hmm. and not talk about the people that don't maybe know the ultimate thing they're going to do to be complete. And so, mm-hmm. in other words, you're left with these people that are maybe there for security reasons mm-hmm. or... Um, they need more rapid deployments yeah. or do other people that come at you with an outcome already in mind and DevOps just happens to be the path? I um, think, yeah. So I would say there, there's probably a good mix of all types. I think there's definitely the box checkers that come and say like, oh, well, you know, I was told or like, you know, I'm a, I'm an engineer and my CTO told me like, why aren't we using Docker? Why aren't we doing CI, CD? Get on right, that and like, right. go do it. There's definitely some of that happening. Um, I would say that the security is actually, in my experience, the least common driver for someone to adopt a CI/CD tool. I think because there are already such good, mature, static security scanning and other kinds of tools that can exist outside of a CI/CD pipeline, that that prompt, like, mm. it's not so coupled, but definitely automated tests, faster deployments. 
um, those are the things and things like automatic rollbacks and sort of um, those more like deployment orchestration kinds of things. Those are the main, those are the outcomes that people have in mind. It's often the case though that you think, you, you look at your world and you, you say, okay, I know what I have now isn't great, but like it's hard to put a number on what does improvement look like? Do you right. want it to be half the time? Or do you want it to be five minutes? And those are really different kinds of goals to set when you're evaluating what is the tool that's right. Or do you simply want it to be automated start to finish? You don't care if it takes eight hours, just as long as it's automated and not happening on a developer's machine, for example. Right, right. There's, de there's definitely um, there's a series of things that have to happen. And I feel like sometimes when someone, it's a domino effect, like mm -hmm. when they, when they, they solve one problem and they then realize they have a new problem they didn't know they had. Yeah. Because it's the slowest thing in the cog or, mm -hmm. the, or the Yeah, it's the, the it's the bottleneck. Yeah. Or you can also invent or expose new problems. And I often talk about this when, when we talk about Docker, and I think we've probably had the same conversation with dozens or even hundreds of people that Docker or a particular technology is not a silver bullet. And in the early days of Docker, and I think Kubernetes is experiencing this quite a lot right now of like, oh, I've started to use this tool and it actually made everything much worse. Right. And I think with Docker, putting things into containers does sort of, it gives you other problems to focus on or it yeah. exposes other architectural flaws um, or other limits that you have within your application. So if you adopt continuous delivery, but you don't have great automated testing, you're going to end up with a lot of outages. Yeah. Um, so it just sort gonna, of shines you're gonna the light. Code. You're going to push you're bad gonna code push really quickly. Some bad code really quickly. Yeah. But you know, yeah. is that the is that a desired outcome? If the outcome is I want feedback loops to be faster, mm -hmm. then like shipping code, bad code, and and getting that feedback super soon, maybe that's fine. Uh, if you're you know a money is if it's a money making piece of software with a bunch of yeah. customers who are going to be angry, then you might want to do some risk analysis and figure out. Is continuous de delivery or continuous deployment really the like? Is that the goal, or should we focus on continuous integration and getting our automated test coverage like super confident so that we can deploy whenever we want? It's just not automatic yet. Right. I feel like it. Often I'm dealing with small teams, mm -hmm. right? People that are showing up. That um, I did a survey at DockerCon every year where I asked people in the room, "How many of you are so?" You're the sole person responsible for what you would call DevOps mm -hmm. in your team, your group, your company even. And like a quarter of the room would raise oh, their hand, yeah. right? So they're tasked with not just a dozen tools, right? Just, you know, not just containers, it's mm -hmm. testing, it's um, any form of automation. It's Sometimes it even means they have to maintain the servers and operations. Yeah. But they're usually also expected to know the code and like actually do, you know, pull requests and code commits. Mm -hmm. Um, so I sometimes wonder if in the minimalist, minimalist form of this DevOps, mm -hmm. where you maybe have someone who's more tech, like, I'm trying to imagine, is there, is there a world where there's two people? And tell me if this theory sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, that one person, <laughs> like imagine the project manager or the, yeah. like you, you mentioned earlier, the, um, the scrum master. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And those people are more, they're, they're thinking process. They're thinking, they're thinking. Uh, project management, they're thinking more on the budget side. Mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. uh, I have to have outcomes to management that prove that we're saving money on this mm -hmm. or that we're increasing revenue somehow. They're, they're tied to the money a little bit. Yeah. And then you have someone on the other side who's 
purely engineering and they mm -hmm. just care about the coolest tools, the latest stuff, yeah. and, and they're focused on automation. Um, do you ever see any cases like that where you have sort of either one, like one person on each side or maybe small teams on each side mm -hmm. that are sort of more specialized? Yeah. Yeah. That, that work together to achieve a DevOps like approach. Yeah. I mean, I think the, maybe what I'm pulling out of that, that hypothetical situation is mm -hmm. like one person who has a really clear vision for what the outcomes are and then someone who can take those outcomes and then figure out what's the tech that needs to right. happen. And I think that is a, that's a great pattern. Um, the best engineers are ones that can understand and deeply understand what the outcome is that they're working toward because it just puts your work in context. So like, it's great to be curious. It's great to experiment and stay up to date on the, like, the coolest stuff. And you know, that's why we became engineers is because right. we want to hack on stuff, right? Not because we want to sit in a spreadsheet and think about like, ooh, how can I uh, increase yeah. the margin on this thing? Um, right. Sometimes that's fun. I do like I do I do love a good spreadsheet every yeah. once in a while, but like that's just not the same as as right when um, it's tied to optimization or like yeah, streamlining yeah, things for in, sure. in tech. I can see that. I can yeah, see that. but if you as a person who's really passionate about automation, about automated testing, and you really spend time in that space, the best way that you can have the biggest impact on your team and actually get more money and get better jobs. Yeah is to really be able to become fluent in those outcomes and, and frame the work in terms of those outcomes, which you're describing like the project manager setting, like, oh, we should be able to deploy seven times a day. Or, right. um, if you can say, I think faster deployment frequency is a goal for us. It's a goal because of X, Y, Z. Here are some strategies that I have, and here's different scopes of like what we could implement technically. Mm -hmm. This is a best practice. This is where I see things going in five years. Let's work on some proof of and get them out like that is to me an unstoppable like that's an unstoppable person who's going to have yeah. a tremendous amount of impact. and they're going to keep going right because we mm -hmm, talked about yeah. earlier that there's no end to that there is no end <laughs> yeah you're never gonna that's the, the hard part about devops as a set of practices like pair programming you you know if you're doing or not it or not right. <laughs> like right. um agile starts it's to get on or off right yeah, yeah it's like on or off like there's those some things like agile it's like well i use jira am i agiling now like right. maybe not um with devops there's really no there's no way to know when when you're finished yeah um, and one thing that i often when i'm when i'm working with teams and i, I try to coach them on when they're thinking about projects i think i, I ask them well, how do you know when you're how are you going to know when you're done with this DevOps initiative, which is often, right. Right. how do you know when you're done with your digital transformation? Now that's some bullshit bingo. Right. Um, and the question is like, it's just almost impossible to answer because the, the answer is you are never done. It is a horizon. And you're, as soon as you kind of get across the horizon changes right. and, and it's like moving goalposts all the time because the industry is just moving too fast. Um, it's not like painting a house. It's not like painting like a house, it. Brett. Yeah. <laughs> I was so thinking I was going to paint a house today. Yeah. Um, you can come, go and paint our house. Yeah. If you're, yeah. If you're into it. With your with Same. your medium with a medium color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> color is color is medium. <laughs> Brett asked me earlier today, what what color what color did you decide for your house? And I just said medium. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> medium. It's, it's average. It's medium like, medium's like average. It's like it's a compromise. It's a compromise. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have, um, so when you start, 
trying to do this DevOps thing. Yeah, and transform. You, and if you, let's say you try to ignore tooling, right? Yeah. Let's say you're someone who's an engineer and you know that you're supposed to do this other stuff and you're not, and you know that just implementing a tool isn't really going to get you the yeah. results. It, right. it, it may get you results, it may not, but you wouldn't know if you're not, if you're not measuring it. What would, what, do you have any tips like on how someone would get started? Yeah. I know you mentioned some links. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you asked, Brett. Um, so this is what we're going to talk about now. If you're out there watching and you're thinking, this is exactly my position, I'm trying to advocate for the technology and the automation and the processes that I want, and I'm having a hard time convincing my boss if yeah. this is sort of a situation you're in. Um, what we're going to talk about right now are four metrics that are becoming now, I think, generally accepted as sort of industry standard measurements of software performance. Uh, software delivery performance, and they are they were established by Dora, which is the DevOps research and assessment group, which is now a part of Google, and they are the ones behind the state of DevOps report that happened here. So unfortunately, um, they share the name with Dora the Explorer. They do share so the name with Dora the Explorer, Dora. and you find a cartoon. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. So maybe search Dora DevOps mm -hmm. or Dora Google. Yeah, yeah, not Dora Disney. So. There's generally four metrics. I think there's a, maybe two that I prefer to think about. Um, the first one that I prefer to think about is just frequency of deployment. So like on a given day, how many times are you deploying? If that answer is like, are you joking? A deployment a day, then think about it. How many times per week or how many times per month? Yes, there are still companies that deploy and release software one time per year or yeah. every six months. Um, so that's definitely, you know, that's, that's part of the world we live in. So that's a good point. Before you go to the next mm -hmm. one real quick. If, does, does the speed of shipment directly relate to the quality of your DevOps? Because I think that's a misconception. Like if, if I'm not mm. shipping often, then I'm not doing DevOps. Is I think a misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so it is true that like here's the sort of causality chain there. If I'm shipping infrequently, it means that the changes that I'm shipping are probably going to be pretty big. Um, like if I'm shipping three months worth of stuff, yeah, and that means bigger changes mean more risk, so maybe lower quality because the probability of something going wrong. However, deployment frequency is only one measurement, and it's not everything. Sure. So you can be doing perfect CI, have complete amazing automated tests, shipping changes in small batches, doing integration all the time, and just choose to press that release button twice a year, and like. I don't know. It sounds pretty unlikely that there would be a team right. out there like that, but like it could happen. It right. Could it's, happen. it's not the thing. That's, yeah. that's the key point there. Yeah. Yeah. There's that... definitely some industries that are really highly regulated um, or have like very specific contracts with the people, like the, the buyers that they might be contractually obligated to only yeah. deploy or, or like release new software once every six months or something that certainly can exist for, for certain. Yeah, government. Um, uh, government. Government yeah. is a big deal. Like getting certifications, you might be shipping code, then you have to sort of freeze it for a while, wait for the certifications to yeah. happen before you can put it. In. Yeah, yeah. which true. could be six months away. Right? Could be six months yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, cool. So deployment frequency is for sure what I'm looking for, and I think that's that is a really good tool in your tool belt if you're in in one of those like convince your boss conversations where you can say like increasing our deployment frequency is going to help us, you know reduce risk by making smaller changes and working more incrementally mm -hmm. and the bigger the change the lower the risk like less right hopefully doing that without additional personnel mm -hmm. because i think a lot of t a lot of those teams that i work with 
there's if they're pre, completely pre DevOps and, mm-hmm. and can completely free, free all these tools we talk about. Yeah. Um, uh, if they're before that, they usually end up with a human that has to do some form of testing before it can be released, yeah. right? And so that is usually a hard bottleneck that they can't. Uh, well, and even if they have full testing, tested. right? Yeah. Even if they have all the all this testing, they end up having to basically at some point just give that up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and That's trust true. that the automated systems will will take care of it. Yeah. yeah. Or the feedback loops. That's an yeah. interesting point that you brought up about like. Whether how you your team can have the most modern software development practices ever, but if your customers are still requiring QA as a check in their mm-hmm. procurement process, like there's some limitations there. Um, and we can't like I think there's a lot of DevOps flag waving and saying, oh, if you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing it right. And it, yeah. that's why I like this approach of like look at the outcomes in these four metrics because you can then see, oh, maybe I have to have a QA function because it's like contractually obligated for the industry I work in, yeah. but we're doing X, Y, and Z. And like, we can feel good about that instead right. of just having someone sort of take a dump on your, on your, <laughs> your DevOps practices. In other words, you're doing it for a good reason. That's, you're doing that, it for a good reason. Makes, actually makes you money, right? Yeah. Instead of, well, True. if we got rid of that, the clients might not want the product anymore because yeah. they don't have the way to, to check whatever mm-hmm. they want to check before they have it live. Yeah. yeah. So let's move on from deployment frequency yeah. into what you just described um, with your shipping once a year, shipping every six months, which is like mean lead time. Okay. So if I'm a developer and I'm working on something, how long does it take for, there's a couple of different ways to measure it, but we can talk about how long does it take for me to open that pull request to say, I'm ready to merge this into master until that is in production in front of users. Mm. So in your, or like the example of shipping once per year, obviously that is super long versus a team that's practicing continuous integration and continuous deployment where it might be um, the team norm might be review pull requests in 24 hours or less. And if it's like prime work time, you might get a review in 30 minutes because maybe your PR is super short. If you have a 15 minute deployment, you can, it can be under an hour lead time from when like that change was ready to go in. There's also, you can sort of extend mean lead time to talk about like from the second we decided to start working on the project, how soon until we actually had something functional in front of, um, in front of a user or someone yeah. who could give us feedback. And that's a really good measurement for how well is your team working together? How well are you planning stuff? But it does have other factors that are not necessarily within the control of what I would just say, like that Dev- DevOps umbrella or the DevOps yeah. process. Yeah. So the definition there is a little fuzzy. There's a little fuzzy, and yeah. I'm sure that there's a like a, a gold it's gold standard one, um, which I actually I can't tell you what it is right now because I I use both of them, but have to really specify what I mean when we talk about mean. Right. You have to write down the definition and all that. Yeah, I saw it's, it's a little or... bit like it's it's a bit jargony. I also have to say. So yeah. when I'm in conversations with the CEO, or today actually we're talking about mean lead time and deployment frequency in an OKR session, because um, in my role as a VP of engineering, I do a lot of sort of big vision setting, setting goals mm-hmm. for the team, making sure that we're heading on the right track. Um, and I had one, one goal or one key result of getting deployment frequency or like mean lead time, some of these more jargony things. And um, my <laughs> one of the, the other members of the exec team just said like, you're going to have to rewrite that into something that other people will understand because, like, no one knows what the hell right. you're talking about. And I was like, it's fair. It, does, it doesn't even sound software specific. It sounds, yeah, I yeah. don't know what it sounds like. 
uh, it sounds like something I could apply to my laundry. Like, how long do I have to wait for that to be dry? Like, well, and that is exactly it because it's not a software. It's not a tech. Yeah. Right. Like all of these things are just like from from business or from car manufacturing, which is often the you know Toyota's like, yeah. um, influence on on stuff and like thinking about software as a production line and a value stream in the same way that Tesla gets. Yeah. Well, Tesla today. So now I know they're in. They are in Vienna. Yeah, even our the, the house that we're building. Oh yeah. There's a, a Tesla supercharger. Or not me. I don't think it's a Tesla supercharger. I think it's just like from the Vienna power company. But it's like oh. next to right. our house, and it's new. <laughs> so when we went to visit, I, I said, "Oh, good. Now we can get a Tesla because look at the the charging station. It's right next to the new house. How you can convenient. You just park it there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can just park it there, and yeah. that's, your, that's your parking spot for at least. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, cool. So we have deployment frequency, yeah. mean lead time. Um, there's something called change failure rate, which is also, I think, a little bit tough to understand. And, and this is when I've seen different teams take different, different meanings. I take change failure rate to mean if I'm pushing a change out there, what's the likelihood that that change is going to fail? That tells me how good my automated tests are and how good my actual, like, you know, whether it's a security flaw that gets out or it's a bug or just like, crash and burn, did my system actually do its job of, of catching that failure before, before getting out? Yeah. And if I say, oh, actually, you know what, 50% of our changes are failing, it's not great. That means that we need to do something else. Right. So all yeah. the other things are basically going faster yep. than your quality of testing. Yeah. yeah. So. I've seen other teams as well use the term change failure rate to talk about how many times does my CI or CD system randomly fail during a change. So, so fail, like, yeah. How many times does Jenkins blow up or like right. whatever tool when I'm relying on this tool and it's the bottleneck, how many times does, how many times does it fail when I'm trying to make a change? Yeah. Um, I don't prefer that. Like, I think that's something different. That's like infrastructure stability. Right. Right. Um, that's not a measurement of like how my processes are working, which is why I, I use the, the previous, um, what's the percentage of failures per change, like percentage of changes that fail after hitting. Right. That, that's. That makes more sense to me than worrying about infrastructure. That would be like yeah. me measuring power outages. It's like if I'm measuring that, then I've already got a serious problem, and I yeah. need to be looking at other things. <laughs> That's uh, very if true. If my CI system just doesn't even perform CI, yeah, then, yeah. Wh then what's going on there? Yeah. Um, so is there is there a general assumption there that if you're doing that quality loop of um, what you're describing, that once a t once something has failed in production, mm -hmm. that you're establishing tests to prevent that from ever failing again. Yeah. That basically is, is a self-improvement process around yeah. that. One thing that these metrics don't talk about is incident response and things like postmortems, which are just good, healthy practices for any high-performing engineering team. So what should happen is when a, fa like a, a failure gets pushed or propagated to production and you have an incident or degraded service, um, you know, maybe it's not that the pager goes off and someone's being woken up, but it could be like, oh, like push a, push a, a repair or like something right. happens. Even how small, big, however, you know, the size of it, a postmortem, just tracking down like what happened, what failed, what like what's what were the systems in play that like resulted to this even getting to production in the first time, like in the first place. And yeah. then what should we fix as corrective actions going forward is a great part of any healthy engineering right. team. Whether or not it was new code that caused it or some sort of random infrastructure failure, it's all the same process, right? Like yeah, it's a yeah. Of, 
how can we prevent this in our systems or in our exactly yeah because we i mean i it's funny i joke about not really a joke i talk about <laughs> it's not that funny. not everything's a joke Brad. No, it's not that funny. but uh i talk about in uh when i speak or i talk to groups or i talk to clients about how i feel like a lot of us were doing devops type work before we had that term mm -hmm. and we we didn't really have a single mm -hmm. label for it we just said Look, we've got failures happening. Like this was, I was yeah. more on the ops side. So one of our big deals was if we have a failure, whether it's software code or infrastructure, infrastructure. or it was network or yeah. whatever it was, um, whether or not it was under our purview or not, whenever we had that kind of failure to the client, like if the client mm -hmm. saw the failure, we have, a, we didn't even call them post-mortems because yeah. we didn't have that terminology yeah, yet. Yeah. And so we would just have, yeah. just have a meeting and our goal no matter how hard it is, and sometimes it was wickedly hard, mm -hmm. is that we, are, we feel confident to stand in front of management and say, these are all the things we've done to prevent this from ever happening again. And it wasn't just, oh, we fixed that problem. It was, mm -hmm. we've fixed our monitoring and our testing exactly. and all the things so that if it ever happens similar to this, yep. we will catch it before it ever goes. Yep. Yeah. And what ends up happening, and this is something I saw firsthand because I was with Coachup for so long, was that our monitoring system ended up like, it just amassed so much institutional like knowledge yeah. of how our system was supposed to behave because every time we had one of those little incidents, we would add a new alert. Yeah. It would be like, oh, we know that if this goes above this threshold, it's an indicator that this is about to happen. So let's add that alert. And like, it just became this like sort of separate being yeah. of like, you know, and I think that's, that's true. really it's what- It's funny you talk about institutional knowledge. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what totally... like, it is sort of like, I mean, it was sort of a model or like in the, the sense that you would think of an, an AI model being trained mm -hmm. by being exposed to different situations, learning the limits and then setting boundaries for itself. That's exactly what our monitoring system ended up doing. But it was like not automatic. It was just like humans yeah. in, inputting, Slowly over setting time. the boundaries, you know, drawing this weird outline around the boundaries of our system and then figuring out, oh, that one needs to change. Let's refactor. We can get rid of this alert. Yeah, that's... um. That's probably a whole separate podcast would be talking mm -hmm. about how that actually eventually becomes very brittle. Like a yeah. lot of systems, it'll get so complicated with this institutional knowledge that mm -hmm. every time you do and like every week, there's tons of code changes in production. And then they always end up breaking monitoring rules mm -hmm. because they're changing the behavior of the system. But the monitoring rules are not we're, a part yeah, of like, yeah, like you yeah. change an API, but you aren't aware of all the monitoring rules that monitor that API. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. One know. good, um, we have right now I'm working at Aula, which is an education tech software, and we work with universities and we sort of supplement their classroom instruction. And it's also a place for students to like, for example, send messages to educators. So we know a key indicator of our system operating as it should be is that messages are being sent. Mm. But that looks really different at noon on a Tuesday or midnight on a Sunday. Right. And where, like, if we're going to say messages being sent is a, an indicator that systems are functioning normally, not using something like, did this Lambda 500? Or, like, are we getting this right. this error from something? But actually looking for that behavior that determines that the system is functioning. Um, it's really hard to know and to set that threshold for, for systems that work in those weekday spikes. Yeah. It becomes really challenging. But that's a, yeah. that's a whole other well, thing. And, 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 yeah, and I've, it's funny because I'm, I'm actually imagining because... I've had that case, that situation, yeah. similar situation. And I can imagine the tool that I was using to figure that mm -hmm. out and to try to draw that graph over time over a week. And it was usually a weekly cycle. Like yep. A lot of human activities are weekly yeah. cycles. 
And then you have to include holidays in certain, certain parts of the, uh, the metrics. Yeah. So one fun fact about that before I tell you about the fourth, and then okay. we can probably take some user questions or yes. some viewer questions, is um, at CodeShip, we, so we, mon we, we monitored the load on our system yeah. as an indicator of whether CodeShip was performing. But what we were then doing is like monitoring, hmm, when are people working, actually? And what we found was like, um, usually around 10 a.m. European time, so 9 a.m. UK time, 10 a.m. European time, we'd see a, a, a spike. And then we would see lunch happen in the, in the EU. Then we would see the U.S. people wake up. We would see them eat lunch. Then we would see the EU people sign off for the day. And then we'd see the U.S. people sign off for the day. So we had this like weird little spike thing. Um, but it was the same every day, just like yeah. work habits of people, like they start working, they work for a little bit, they push a change, CI runs. Right. They deploy, like, you know, and just like figuring out when the, the lulls are. It was really yeah. interesting to sort of get that data uh, and mon like monitor all yeah, yeah, yeah. developers and, and mass. And, and watching, you know, and of course the, the ultimate graph is when you can put it on a globe and, it can, and then you have all True. the light dots of everything. And that's mm -hmm. always like the keynote video is the... The company showing their product used all over the world and yeah you know we have everyone in every country mm -hmm. yeah yeah so we'll yeah take some questions so the fourth, last the fourth, the fourth thing is mttr um which depending on who you ask is mean time or median time to recover and basically what that is, is if you have an outage or there's a major issue how long does it take you to get that change through your whole process and into users so um if it's running through all of your ci that might be long there might be like an oh shit button is what i like to call right. it of like manual reverts um but like what how long does it take you to correct that outage would be mttr and I, to me that's a a great indicator of like how long because you don't want a hot fix to not go through the automated testing it's a yeah. little bit risky right yeah and that leads back to the uh, former one about brittleness right and, mm -hmm. and how if you're changing it's okay to have some brittleness in some areas if your response to that mm -hmm. is easily your response is easy it doesn't take 12 hours to diagnose the problem and then another 12 hours to fix it yep. then it, that that kind of organization i would always find there's there's they're the organization that's scared to push the button mm -hmm. because they know that the recovery process is arduous and painful and mm -hmm. takes forever whereas an organization that can respond quickly to failure since they tend to be a little more cavalier about the front end of it because they're like look if we screw up. We just revert, yeah. and it's down for five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's it's interesting. It's a it's a give and take. It's a push mm -hmm. and pull a little bit. Yeah, yeah, on that. definitely. So, all right, let's take some questions. All right, and of course, this is all like on the preface of this. This is all about these are ideas that lead metrics mm -hmm. that eventually lead to tools that should inform your tool choice that will mm -hmm. give you answers to help you answer the question. Right? Yeah, like the tool. That, the tool itself is actually so low on the list that it's it a means. It's an implementation it be, detail. <laughs> yeah, implementation implementation yeah. detail is something that whenever it is told to me as an ops person, I feel insulted. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm here to insult you. So yeah. let's look at questions. Let's look at questions. Um. All right. Hello, everyone, and all your countries. Hello, everyone. Thank you for saying hi. Um. Oh, hello, Steffi. Hello. Yeah. And Jenny's here as well. Nice to see all the love from, from the comments. Um, I think the market sees DevOps yeah. jobs. How someone who managed the ICD tools, am I right? 
Yeah, I think, you know what, Brett and I, we talked about this in the car earlier, but like there are a lot of job postings for DevOps and what does that even mean to like be a DevOps engineer? Right. Um, it's, it's buzzwordy for sure. And I think a lot of, a lot of those jobs are just like that. Like we know we need to improve. We need someone that has specialized knowledge on how to help us improve. Let's just call that person DevOps yeah. and like make them responsible for Jenkins. Yeah. And the thing is, is we don't, we're not in the habit as an industry of making mm -hmm. jobs around a tool name, which is yeah. awesome. Like we shouldn't do yeah. that. But also job titles are usually restricted to like three to five words, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. even the longest job titles, like yeah. five or six words. Yes. So how do you describe the person who performs in a software group that enhanced, like, it might, it, I mean, I feel like it would be just as accurate to call mm -hmm. it something like a perform, something with the word performance in it, like yeah. a performance artist or something like that, <laughs> a software performance artist. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, the, I mean, and that's the thing is the DevOps word, I don't, when we look, when we go back and we look at the origins, it never, it actually, the tool was the outcome. Like yeah, the, yeah. The, the term never It's meant to be a cultural. Tooling. Yeah. De developers and ops coming together, literally DevOps. Yes. Um, but it just became so tightly coupled to like certain tools yeah. that now it's all, it's, it's coming a bit hard to extract. It's part of the problem of the internet, basically. The I, internet. I feel like I need to blame the internet on this one. The internet ruins everything. And again. yeah, and, and I'm part of it. I will yeah. take blame. My course, Docker Mastery, mm -hmm. which is about a tool, but I, I teach the tool from the idea that you're implementing performance based software that you measure and that it's repeatable yeah. and that you have automation and infrastructure as code and 12 factor apps and all these things that are underneath they're underlying and then way underneath that is tooling mm -hmm. but also the problem is with internet marketing and so when you put the word devops in yeah, your tooling well, people are searching for it yeah so, so people see your shit it. and you're good like boom it's it's yeah. if you don't put that word in there then people think you either don't get it, you don't know what you're talking about, yeah. or whatever. And and I started, I can tell you, on LinkedIn, when I put my title and I changed my title and I put the word DevOps in there, yeah. so many more recruiter emails. Oh, yeah, like, I believe it. You get guaranteed it. more, double I, the requests. I got a job, uh, like, recruiter spam on LinkedIn today that just said, are you a DevOps? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. Like, shouldn't you know? Shouldn't you know if you're trying to recruit me? Yeah, that's a funny. That's a funny question. Yeah. So hopefully we answer that. But yes, that's the problem. So I think we all need to play along. Like, mm -hmm. you can fight the stream. You can fight the madness if you want. Mm -hmm. But if you're if you're at the beginning of your career and you're looking for a job and you're you're trying or you're trying to change your mm -hmm. job to be more in the focus of performance and we used to use the word agile like it was mm -hmm. a part of a job description, yeah. but that got sort of Yeah, you'd never be an over. agile engineer. You're never yeah. hired to be a pair programmer. I bet you if I looked it up on LinkedIn, though, I bet you I'd find I'm it. I'm sure you I would. I bet you there, sure. there would be a this description of something that was like, mm -hmm. oh, we're looking for an agile pair programmer, and, which should <laughs> never be a thing. My salary, $500,000. <laughs> um, I'm the only one. You're the only one. Here's a question we can answer shortly, quickly, because Brett and I tend to be very long-winded. Um, what is meant by container native CI and CD? Um, so container native CI and CD would be a CI and CD system or tool that is specifically tailored to the workflows that applications developed in containers need to. So for example, um, 
having the Docker file and the container image as the artifact that that gets tested and having that sort of as the heart of your application, that would be something a container native CI and CD yeah. system would do. It can also mean that the CI CD system itself runs everything in containers, but I would say that's less important. I think the most important thing is that it, it has specific workflows and specific features like um, maybe being able to use a Docker Compose file or a Kubernetes yeah. file to declare your services, being able to reuse Docker files. Those would be components of a container native CI and CD tool. I completely agree. I think, I think some people might get confused that it is having the CI tool in, in a containers, container, yeah. but I would argue that that is the least important thing. Yep. In fact, on, honestly, when I work with teams, detail. implementation, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I, you know, I think the most, the number one thing when I work with teams to convert them to container tooling is that their testing is done with and in containers. Mm -hmm. So like you said, like Docker Compose, Kubernetes, whatever yep. tools you're using there, that you're testing your code in the artifact that you're going to ship Absolutely. to your servers. Otherwise, right? what's the point? Right. That's yeah. one of the biggest reasons that they wanted uh, the idea of containers became a thing. Well, and Docker was the, the first label yeah. was we wanted to have the, the testing emulate exactly what production yep. would look like. Mm -hmm. Right. Works on my machine. Works on my machine. Works on my machine. Saw so a great Twitter uh, post today. Someone added me that uh, it said, it works on my machine, and someone said, "Why don't you? Why, why don't you ship your machine?" Said, <laughs> well, that's, that's how Docker, Docker was born. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, was absolutely. awesome. It was a great job. If mm -hmm. you're on here and you did that to me, thank you. Yeah. Um, did I hear correctly that for one, a one-man show, especially that CI should be maybe a first step, mm. and to not worry about the CI so much makes sense. I think is CI considered half of the battle. Yeah, I think we could consider CI half of the battle. I mean, I guess it's a reason that it's half of the word CI-CD. Um, but how much effort you actually need to put in to get CI working correctly, that is what can be variable. It just really depends on where your pain is. Yeah. So if you're building and compiling huge applications, like CI is going to be pretty painful for you. Because um, yeah. it's not just automated testing. It's the actual integration and creation of the artifact that then you can deliver or deploy with CD whether you're taking that to be delivery or deployment. So I would never recommend having automated deployment without going through the, the testing and right. then continuous integration part. So like definitely, definitely start yeah. there because otherwise you're just not going to be able to trust. Yeah. It's like a yin or yang, yin and yang. It's, it's yin a, and yang. if you, the less testing you do, the harder it is to automate the rest of it because yeah. you're you're eventually going to start breaking stuff and here's the problem with all of software engineering is mm -hmm. when you make the change even if it's not really your fault it's your fault if it doesn't work right mm -hmm. like if you're the build engineer or if you're someone who's automating the, the shipping of code to production mm -hmm. and the code didn't pass testing and you're what i would what i would say is maybe you're in a young uh, a young organization that doesn't quite mm -hmm. get the whole DevOps workflow and all that stuff. Um, if it breaks in the automation and you ship bad code to production, you're gonna be partially to blame for that. Just mm -hmm. because if you're pushing for automation, but there's not quality testing before that, yeah. and you're aggressive, you're like gonna you're, have a bad time. Yeah, you're gonna your, your boss isn't gonna. They're gonna think the automation is the problem, and this right. is a, a reoccurring theme, right? That the automation is the is the thing that caused our problem. Well, actually, auto, just shipping the code into production mm -hmm. without sort of 
I don't know, waiting. Yeah. Like, I mean, what, what, if yeah. you're not shipping it, what are you doing? If you're, if a human's QAing it, maybe, yeah. then that the key is is taking all the things the human is doing and making those automated. That's like the step one of that, mm-hmm. and to, to sort of work them out of a job of manually clicking things or manually mm-hmm. running scripts or whatever. But yeah, it's um, CI is definitely a good component of it. But it's it's not. It, I, I, you're right. It's every organization is different. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. They just don't understand their server infrastructure, and mm-hmm. maybe they don't even have a full-time ops person. So their challenge isn't in the software and, or in testing. Mm-hmm. It's how do we reliably get it on the servers and scale properly and not waste a bunch of money on a bunch of servers. Yeah. You know, and that might be the big issue. So it kind of depends. I would say find a person who's done this kind of stuff for a living, a con- whether it's an internal person or a consultant mm-hmm. or something. Um, and ask them to do a review, an audit mm-hmm. of your yeah. of your software pipeline, and that way, a really short one. They don't need to do a thirty hour yeah. uh, audit. Like you can do this in a, a small amount of time, mm-hmm. and you can find easily like the top two or three things mm-hmm. as an auditor. Even if it's not an official, I use the word audit, but yeah, yeah more of a review. Yeah, review. Maybe a review is a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, I do this all the time for clients where I just review their stuff. And I just base it on all the other organizations I've seen and I apply mm-hmm. sort of the, the, met, the common metrics that the industry has looked at and said, well, hey, you don't, have, you don't have any continuous deployment on the back end of your CI, but your CI is beautiful. You have tons mm-hmm. of tests. It's really fast. Things happen in five minutes or whatever. Yeah. You know, sometimes teams are like, we want it under a minute. I'm like, well, why? You, you, you take a yeah. week to deploy it after the CI is done. <laughs> so I don't know why you're worried about yeah, that. Yeah. So it, yeah, it depends. Yeah. That's the consultant answer. Yeah, it depends. It's a good question. It's a, great it's a good question. question. Thank you. Cool. Why don't we take maybe two more questions and two then we more. can uh, two more. We can hang out on chat a little bit. Um, yeah, DevOps is not a tool or a guy who automates everything. DevOps is a culture. I think so. Thanks. We agree. We agree. Um, your engineer. Hello, hello. Um. Archimedes, sorry, we're not going to be able to get to your question today, but happy to talk about that in Slack mm-hmm. because I know you're in my Slack chat every day. So, um, John, um, thank you for the, the, the positive feedback. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's really nice. When you need to deploy something in production in real life, do you use Jenkins for that? Or do you execute a cube control directly? <laughs> Or do you use a tool, like I have to do squats now because I read his... Uh, no, because you pronounced it cube control, excuse it, me, in this house. Control. It is cube control. <laughs> that is what the documentation specifies. I prefer the alternate pronunciation, cubectal. All right. I don't even know if I can say that. Cubectal. No, we can say cube control. I do like saying cube, cube CTL. Because system cubectal. CTL, like, I never taught... I have to practice that. Sorry, now for the next three hours, Brett and I are going to argue about how to pronounce this. <laughs> Just join us. Um, you know what? This is a really good question. Um, and my, my philosophy in general is that if you are interacting with the tool like Cube Control mm-hmm. or running a Docker command yourself, that tells me that there's something missing because that you should not have to do that manually right. and you want a tool to kind of do the automate that for you that can do a much better job of monitoring and like watching how that command unfolds. Yeah, um, that's true. I am a fan of GitOps. So if you haven't heard that term, absolutely. Yeah. That, um, that is, I think, probably one of the, it's 
it's actually a term that implies DevOps, but also implies actual tools like yeah. Git. Yeah. And I think that that it's getting more traction because we're realizing that, hey, the actual software engineers know how to implement changes in a, mm -hmm. in a quantitative, measurable way with logging and history and reliable mm -hmm. uh, you know, differencing of things and being able to revert to things that we accidentally mis made a mm -hmm. mistake on. And that is what we need in operations. And we started out in operations with things like infrastructure as code, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but I think we're getting to this world of Git is the thing, let's do GitOps. And so look that up. And if you can find tooling that aligns with that mm -hmm. GitOps, GitOps principle, and this is a teaser because we're going to have a show next month, I think it is, or in a couple of weeks with Weave. Mm -hmm. um, and and Alexis. Weave, yeah. yeah. They invented the topic. Yeah. So um, we're, we're going to be talking with them about that. And that if you can find the tools, it doesn't really matter the tool. Like every company I work with has a different tool. Yep. Um, it, it's, it's more about whatever other tools you have. Does this one align with that? Does mm -hmm. this pair with that? Does this match with that? If you're on AWS, there's probably yep. specific tools. Mm -hmm. If you're on Azure, you know, it doesn't matter. Yep. So. And I, I guess maybe another short answer to that question is like, certainly you can deploy with Jenkins. I have done many deploys with Jenkins in my lifetime. There's other tools that you can use in conjunction with Jenkins to deploy. Um, there's also other tools, for example, CodeShip or CodeFresh or CircleCI that also have that CD capability built into the tool in addition to CI, which is the continuous integration, automated right. testing, and artifact building. So if you have your CI, and it's totally fine to, to use two different tools for both. Um, that's definitely something I've seen. Um, if you have the CI store and your automated tests are running just fine and you're looking for CD, um, just... Yes, do a, do a quick search for like CD tool. That's the keyword that you want to look for to find tools that can help you particularly there. Yeah, if you're brand new and you like this idea of Git as the way to do ops and, mm -hmm. and infrastructure as code and all that, if you, um, if you search Git ops uh, deployment or Git ops awesome. Kubernetes, you'll often find several a tools stuff, yeah. that are, are very narrow in scope mm -hmm. and they may not fit your workflow but they will solve the problem easier than sort of a general tool approach that you're trying to fit into this sort of yeah. new world of automated deployment. So, yeah, it, it, it really depends. Honestly, it's rare for me to find two different clients that have the exact same mm -hmm. pipeline of tooling. Very um, true. Maybe someday we'll get there. Yeah. Great question. Maybe someday, Brett. Maybe someday all right. we'll all use the same thing. Do we have one more? Um, in order to adopt DevOps practices, is it more easy to dev professionals or to ops professionals? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> well, I'm ops, you're dev. Uh, which yeah. is easier, my way or your way? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, I think that some people would just keep saying devs, like because it. It's a lot of these ideas yeah. are coming out of the dev world. Yeah, I think I yeah. have more often found developers that are more interested in learning about the operations side than mm. operations people who are interested in becoming developers Ooh, yes so i would say I like that. to me every developer is like t where they have general generalist skills and then they have that like that deep mm -hmm. deep dive and then also i sort of thinking about it is like within that t there's like the, the strong part and then there's like the the peripheral part and yeah. i think it's just like if you're a front-end developer working on vue.js maybe you can reach a little bit deep and like maybe talk about backend or like maybe yeah. ops is your thing um, because you're building on top of the skills for application development. I think with ops, it's a bit harder because application development is not like a core yeah. 
part of that story. Yeah. But ops is ops is so hard as well. Um, that's certainly like I don't think that one is hard, necessarily harder or the other or more. Yeah. Um, yeah, one can one can seem deceptively. I, sometimes I wonder if ops seems easy to a dev person. Um, it's just typing. It's just like <laughs> you're just clicking buttons on the screen. You're just clicking buttons. You're, you're just looking typing at grass. in a terminal. You're looking at grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You but, don't have to worry about browsers. Like, <laughs> what a world. And, and and I guess it depends on the role. I, yeah. I I feel like I don't have an answer because to me it depends about the person. Like mm -hmm. I have met fantastic operators and I have met horrible operators, and it was mostly mm -hmm. not their intelligence. It was their attitude, their attitude yeah. uh, and I would say it's twofold for me. It's, are you a lifelong learner? And the interview question mm -hmm. I often ask is, what does your home lab look like? Mm -hmm. Because that'll, it's not, do, how do you learn or do you do this thing or whatever. It's, mm -hmm. how do you, what does your home lab look like? And if they describe to me, like, I can see their passion and their mm -hmm. spark because most people that are lifelong learners in tech, they have something. Like they, they have a preference. They do that. They, they've, they've learned for a long time. They know how to learn mm -hmm. and they love what their process mm -hmm. and they will light up and they'll talk about it. The people that are not lifelong learners and just want to be taught something on the job yeah. and told what to do, get the, they, get tend to, they tend to Come answer on, that yeah. question with like, well, whatever the boss provides me, if they give me a separate, separate computer to play, to test with, I test with. Like if they don't mm -hmm. sound excited, yeah. I kind of get a sense of you're not a lifelong learner. You're mm -hmm. just waiting for someone to tell you what to do. The other, the other side of that is um, you're, if you assume, if your default mm -hmm. is to assume responsibility for a problem, you're probably closer to the goal there. Absolutely. Than if you're someone who says, my boss didn't tell me to yep. do that. I'm not going to worry about it. I didn't review that PR. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because I think that P if you have a team of people, um, if you took a bunch of dev people and a bunch of ops people and they all had a That's default it, yeah. of, I am here to help the organization and the teams achieve our goals. How can I help the teams today? Mm -hmm. And if everybody had that, I think you will naturally end in a state of DevOps. Yep. Like you, you will just arrive at it mm -hmm. through conclusions of, hey, there's no wall between us. We're just both We're two both parts trying to of do the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. So great point, Brett. Yeah. That's a good closing thought. And scene. Perfect. Also sponsored by Club Mata. Club Mata. Is it yeah. Club Mata? I say Club Mante. You, you can say whatever you want. You're a silly American, so. <laughs> All right. All oh, good. and we have one final question. Okay, you, um, yeah, certainly. Well, we'll throw you in there. Very last, quick topic. Um, you, got it, you got it in right before the bell. Right before the bell, um, yeah. I've learned tra Travis CI and AWS, certainly GitHub has also released a tool called GitHub Deployments, mm -hmm. and we have Jenkins. How do we decide which tool to use for CI, CD? You don't? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, I have had this conversation with like me myself as a person who's making the decision, me as an evaluator, me working for a CI/CD company trying to convince people. It really comes down to what do you vet? Like, what is your framework, your language, and what are the particular problems that you're trying to solve? If you're trying to solve our CI takes too long, our automated tests take too long, and we want. Um, a CI, like a CI system that is like a workhorse and can reduce that build time, that's going to be a different solution than if you're saying, you know what, CI is great. Um, we just want it like super streamlined within GitHub and like yeah. really easy to use. That's going to be point you to a different tool. And it also depends on your situation too. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree with that. I have one client where they're building software products for Linux, Mac, Windows. Um, I don't believe they have iOS yet. 
but they are shipping so yeah. much different software that they basically have to use Jenkins. Like mm -hmm. there's maybe three products in the market that, that will can build do all of those things and do all that yeah, stuff, right? Across the platform, um, for sure. I have other clients where they're a pure PHP shop. So mm -hmm. it's super, or I have a friend who's a pure Ruby shop. Yep. Super easy for them. They can find a niche tool that's very Absolutely. easy. Ruby is really well suited for yeah. web development tools that are just like. And they're, they're kind of one of the best out there at making the tool as easy and dumb as possible mm -hmm. for just getting the job done. And you don't, have yep. to, you don't even have to be a CICD person to use those yep. tools. So I, I would think that it, it matters on what your goals are mm -hmm. in terms of your coverage. But my, I, when I, the more I go down a rabbit hole of a tool and I feel like I'm investing so much time learning this tool and not getting work done, mm -hmm. the, more, the more I don't want that tool. It's diminishing returns. Yeah. yeah, it should be. There is always a compromise between flexibility and usability. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what we think about. That's why Jenkins gets so such a, a bad reputation is because it is like infinitely customizable. Yeah, but so that it's highly comes, flexible. It's highly flexible, which means that it's harder to use. Yeah. There are tools like Circle, like CodeChip, like Travis that are really easy to use, but they lack that customizability. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of like, or like Heroku CI, GitHub Actions. Yeah, GitHub Actions is maybe not a great example, but like built-in CI. Yeah. Um, even you can even say whole, Docker Hub is a Docker has Hub a, has automated. Yeah, yeah, they do have automated builds, so that's super easy. Yeah, you don't even have to think about it. You click a button. It's probably one of the easiest, but it's also one of the most limiting because exactly it, it will not give you like the minute you want to solve another problem and add something in the workflow. Yep. But it's not in your Docker file. You're not going to be able to use that anymore. Yep. So so just think yeah. about what's that balance? How customizable do you need it to be versus how usable, and uh, how much money you have to spend? Yeah. Great questions. Well, All right, so. Before, but yeah, yeah that, was a, that was a fantastic hour of DevOps, and we only mentioned a few hundred tools. Yeah, I am so gonna. We have now about two hours of workout yep. and then dinner. First, yeah. First, let's eat. <laughs> First, let's eat. Yeah. So, um, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Uh, where are you on the internet? Tell people how you're, what are you doing out there, how to get a hold of you, all that stuff. Yeah, you can find me on the Twitters. Um, if you follow Brett, that's probably the easiest way to find me. My handle is Rheinwine with an underscore in between the Rhine and the wine. Yeah. It's a German word, which makes it very difficult. But you can just Google or uh, look, look for Laura Taco on Twitter. Um, yeah. You'll find me. With an H. With an H, not like, I mean, T-A-C-H-O, like Taco Mita, <laughs> Bonomita. German's a beautiful, poetic, and also very challenging language for native English <laughs> we could, speakers. We could say that about English. We could to say people. that yeah. it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, so find me there. Um, I'm usually at DockerCon, yeah. sometimes KubeCon, but Brett and I like to hang out. So if you know Brett already um, and you see you, me looking around, do you just have, say hi. Yeah. Do you have another conference that you know of, like next year or something? Yeah. Up? So I'm taking a little bit of a break from speaking because Good for you. I, yeah, I had. Um, I realized that like getting the highest airline status, although I felt very accomplished, like actually was really nothing to be proud of. And I needed a little bit of time to like just hang yeah. out. So single serving um, friends and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, this, this year I started a new job, um, took on a lot more uh, leadership responsibility, have a, a growing startup that I need to pay a lot of attention to. So I'm taking a break from Speaking, but I plan on returning um, in spring next year, and DockerCon is my next plan. Ooh, all right, break till so DockerCon. Potentially break till DockerCon, yeah. and in case that doesn't, in case that's not true, you'll hear about it on Twitter. Okay, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, and for those last thing for the 
bourbon fans out there, or the whiskey oh, yeah. fans, what did you just make us to have? So I had my wonderful husband brought me some bullet bourbon from a, the Munich airport, duty free. That's nice. how, that's what true love, that's what marriage is about. It's like, <laughs> I'm at duty free. Do you need anything? And I'm like, bring me a liter of bourbon, please. Yeah. And lipstick. He also went lipstick shopping for me. He's fantastic. But bourbon um, first. Bourbon first, then lipstick. Um, so that was bullet bourbon. And then there, at least in Europe, there's a new kind of vermouth by Martini. So like you have the red vermouth, which is the typical mm -hmm. mixer with like for bourbon drinks. There's white, like the light dry vermouth for, um, for martinis, but this is called fire. And I'm not sure how it would be marketed if it's like in English or something different. Um, mm. but it's like an orange vermouth and it's more, it's like citrusy. It's not spicy. It's not like cinnamon or anything. Yeah. Um, but that with bourbon and then just like a little, a little squeeze of orange and we finished with a, a nice cherry. Um, it was very tasty and yeah, stirred, stirred over some ice and then in these fancy glasses, fancy glasses. and then right. you're chasing it with Club Mata, which is not beer, but it's like a Yerba Mata it, soda, which America, tastes like plums. This is like the Red Bull it's, of Europe, uh, the party? Berlin. Berlin? Yeah. Oh, it's more of a Berlin it's thing. It's more of a Berlin thing. Because right. in Austria, like, we have Red Bull. It's from Austria. Right. right. My Uber driver today was drinking a Red Bull while Absolutely. driving me to the... It's, it's one euro. Like, it's not... It's just yeah. like... It's not like four four bucks a can like it is in the U.S. Yeah. Monte though, you'll probably only find for like 10 bucks a bottle. This is, this is healthy tea combined with sugar. It's not healthy. And, no? It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, mate. It's like it's herba, so, herba mate. Well, the way that they get the caffeine out of it is like there's a reaction with sugar, so there's no way to make what? diet mate. That has like, it's like five Cokes of sugar in there. It's well, like maybe I'm not. I'm going to be up all six, night. Yeah. Thanks for telling me now after I drank the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, you should probably stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will be back here hopefully next week. I'm not sure who are... Is. We'll look it up. You'll see it on YouTube and Twitter. You. Oh, we're not going to be here next week. I was just kidding. We're traveling on the next Thursday, so stay tuned on Twitter and YouTube and mm -hmm. all the things for the next show. And thanks so much for watching. And we'll see you back here sometime soon on YouTube Live. Thanks. Cool. High five. High five. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.